0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the New Books Network. I'm Marshall Poe, the editor-in-chief of the network, and each week we pick a new book we find particularly interesting, and we interview the author of that book. This week, I'm happy to say we have, as our gat on the show, we've had him on the show before about another book, but he's written yet a, a new book called Nations, The Long History and Deep Roots of Political Ethnicity and Nationalism, this one is every bit as pathbreaking as his last one, which I believe was called War in Human Civilization. Is that right, Azar? Correct. Yeah. Yes, okay. And yes, this one is every bit as piquant and feisty and interesting, and I hope it turns a lot of heads and changes a lot of minds. It did mine, uh, so I really encourage you to go out and read it. It uh, takes directly on what I might call the received view about nations, that is that they're quite new. They are invented or imagined, I suppose is the catchphrase these days. Azar doesn't think so. And after reading his book, I don't really either. Actually, truth be told, I never really did. But uh, his book provided a lot of uh, evidence for what we'll talk about as the traditionalist line on the origin of, um, I guess, ethnic uh, communities and their relationships to politics. So Azar, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for hosting me. Sure, my pleasure. Could you begin the interview by telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: Well, I'm Israeli, and I'm uh, a professor and the chair of the political science uh, department at Tel Aviv University. Uh, most of my uh, life I spent as a um, researcher of war, and then I have a uh, turn my attention to other subjects as well.
0: So tell us why you wrote uh, Nations, the long history and deep roots of political ethnicity and nationalism.
1: Well, I, I was troubled by the by turn the of, uh, uh, of opinion, uh, starting with uh, scholars, uh, well, it, it started in the, uh, the, the 1930s, but, but then uh, a return in earnest from the 1980s with the idea that uh, nations were somehow new, that the connection between uh, a state and the and people was uh, something new and modern, that it only started, say, from the uh, from the French Revolution, the Industrial Revolution, or perhaps a little earlier with the print revolution, earlier in the the early modern period. And, uh, that, uh, and, and uh, this uh, view became very fashionable. It uh, re- resonates uh, beyond the scholarly circles and... I believe that now uh, uh, every student in the, in the humanities and social sciences uh, is uh, groomed on this um, idea. So uh, I, I never believed this was true. So I uh, had to write a book about it.
0: Yeah, I know that my I have a daughter who's she's four years old. She's just barely four years old. And she's already gotten the idea that she's an American. She says, we're in America now. It's not like other places. <laughs> that's because she's a modern guy. <laughs> yeah. I, di- I, didn't, I didn't teach her that. <laughs> she's like, that's the American flag. I'm like, yes, it is. Uh, so uh, I, I, quite, uh, I, I, I quite agree with you. Let's talk a little bit about the origins of this particular idea that nations or uh, the, the national state, let's put it that way, and it's modern, is an invention. Uh, who who, uh, who founded this idea? Where did we get this notion?
1: Um. Well, I think that this notion has uh, two origins. One is that modernity indeed uh, has created a a huge, uh, you know, generated a huge transformation. Nobody's denying this. Uh, People moved from uh, rural communities to cities, they became uh, uh, all. Became subject to uh, to uh, military service in, in most countries in uh, they uh, during the nineteenth century they uh, they were received uh, universal education which which imprinted in them the ideas of of national history and so forth so modernity was obviously a huge change and uh, nobody's denying this the question is whether or not uh, they felt a sense of being a people and identify and were identified themselves with a particular state before before modernity, and that's the the question. and And the other origin was the was the uh, revulsion and against the the uh, the manifestation of of chauvinist nationalism during the 19th century, the, during the 20th century, the horror. The, the atrocities caused by, by uh, nationalism, particularly uh, during the Second World War, Nazism, and so forth. So there was a tendency to belittle the uh, the uh, national uh, uh, factor to, to try to argue that it was, uh, as I said, that it was uh, first of all immoral and illegitimate, but also, but also, uh, but also a modern invention contrived. and We should just. Uh,
0: over it. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things you point out in the book I, I quite liked, uh, I, it, it might be controversial, but I don't see how, uh, many of the people who were the theorists of the modernist position, that is that nations are modern, were in fact kind of deracinated types themselves. They had fled, uh, usually Central Europe, and exactly. ended up someplace in the in, in the in the English-speaking world. And for them, uh, nations were sort of invented because they got a new one. Correct.
1: Most of the modernists were refugees from Nazi Germany during the 1930s. Uh, actually, all of them, ex- all of the leading uh, modernists, except one, all of them fled, um, uh, fled uh, persecution and the nationalist, national chauvinism during the 1930s. Uh, um, came to the United States or Britain, and uh, it was uh, they, they faced a very painful uh, question of identity. They were. were um, they were, you know, they they rebelled against the, the dominance of, uh, I mean, the, against the life experience. So it was quite natural for them to regard nationalism as uh, as insignificant.
0: Yeah, and many of them are very brilliant people and sympathetic folks. And and I, th- I think Absolutely. it's I think it's very good to put it in that kind of uh, they they, did, they were, you know, they, they were the subjects of. of, of um, of nationalist oppression—they definitely were—and so one could see why exactly. they might wonder. I also wonder, though, that um, you know, Marxism is an interesting thing, and you mentioned it. Marx did not really uh, pay a lot of attention to nations, except to say that they'll go away. And um, many of the many of the people that were the founders of the modernist position were, uh, if not Marxists, on the left. That's right.
1: That's right. Though the, they say uh, the communist, um, even though uh, Marxist doctrine uh, does not really recognize the. Nationalist factor. Communists were quite aware that they were that there were nations, and that uh, so both, uh, say, uh, the Soviet Union and other countries in the Soviet bloc at the time, particularly uh, Yugoslavia, regarded themselves as a multinational uh, states, and uh, at least in principle or in theory, uh, believed that uh, peoples have the right of self-determination, that that they would, uh, and uh, the Soviet Union, uh, as I said, at least in theory. Was recognized. It was organized along uh, yeah. along
0: these lines. Sure, sure, that's right. So there's another strain as well. And you know, I uh, I guess I might mildly disagree with you about the, the origins of this, in the sense that I, I you know, this notion of um, civic nationality or civic identity that you can actually find in the French Revolution. I mean, it seems to me that a lot of people that think about nations don't like them, and haven't liked them for a long time. And that that has something to do with this notion of sort of a universal identity, or the kind of universalism that you found in French revolutionary rhetoric. What do you think about that?
1: Well, it's absolutely true. But but the, the fact remains that uh, most of those who uh, profess to be uh, not to like nationalism live in in <laughs> yeah. in particular national states, uh, identified with these nations. We have this uh, famous expression by. Uh, Habermas, the German uh, philosopher, about uh, about the uh, constitutional patriotism, uh, but, but but obviously people identify with the, the constitution of the of particular state and particular people. It's, uh, and, and the French Revolution itself, even though uh, obviously mm-hmm. it proclaimed universal principles and so on, it was it was centered on the French people. It centered on the French people, and French civic nationalism centers on the French people, the French language it makes it easy for people to join the French nation if they uh, if they accept the French uh, language, French culture, and so forth. But it's it, it, it's uh, very uh, clearly sent uh, it very clearly centers on French state and the French people.
0: Yeah, I think that you could uh, p- probably one one acid test of this to s- is to see uh, uh, which team you support in the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be this, willing to bet <laughs> this has been called
1: banal uh, banal nationalism, and it, it very well exists in the in the you know in the liberal West today. People forget that 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 uh, lib- that nationalism seems to be in decline only because it has been accepted so widely. I yeah, mean, yeah, if people, you know, if people uh, feel at home, so they, 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 it's like good health. You, you, you miss it only when, uh, when, when they, when it's gone. So when people are uh, secure in their home countries and uh, they feel that they, uh, their country expresses their national identity, so it, the whole question of nationalism receded to the uh, sidelines, but. Even in the most uh, liberal and um, comfortable countries, like say uh, Canada or these days the United Kingdom or Spain or Belgium, when the national uh, when the when the question of uh, of what, what your identity is returns to the front line, as with uh, Quebec or with uh, Scotland or with the uh, Country or with uh, Catalonia and so forth, so it. it, it immediately become obvious that the nation question is a very salient
0: one. Yeah, no, that's, that's <laughs> it's absolutely true, and there are a lot of funny examples of that. I mean, I, I, I think that well, just to give an anecdote, I, I always ask my students uh, this is here in the United States, of course uh, whether they can imagine a form of political community other than the democratic nation-state and they can't. <laughs> there just isn't anything else that could conceivably be legitimate. So, right. you're absolutely right. I mean, they don't you know, forty years ago, people might have said, "Well, you know, socialism," or I don't know. You know, there was a sort of thoroughgoing—I don't know—there were nationalisms of various kinds, but it just doesn't really exist anymore,
1: right? We, national national identity become, has become transparent to people. Where, where, where it well in, in those places where national identity has uh, uh, national sovereignty has indeed been achieved, and is regarded as uh, as, um, as you know as.
0: Yeah, well, it's part of the world. I mean, I think that's the way they see it. It's, they don't notice it anymore. It's just exactly. part of the part of the world. And so, let's talk a little bit about the substance of the book itself. Um, one of the things I really liked about this book, and I liked about your uh, previous book, I hope I didn't skip any, uh, War in Human Civilization, is that you begin at the beginning, and that is with uh, the uh, evolution of particular human traits, mental traits, psychological traits that are dealt with by evolutionary psychologists and things like this. Uh, you don't shy away from that. And I think that's good. I know that in my own work, I've done the same thing. Um, uh, Could you talk a little bit about, I guess what I might call the evolutionary origins of, uh, preferment or attachment or mm, preference for people that, I don't know how else to say it, except look like you or act like you or something like that. Yeah.
1: Right. For many, for many, for most of the 20th century, the whole notion of human nature was regarded as, uh, is completely out of place. The, the social sciences believed and the humanities believed that uh, that the man was uh, wholly uh, shaped by by culture, by history, and so forth. But but the the idea of human nature has returned in in, in the past decades, and it's now based on the on the logic of uh, evolutionary theory. And 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 we know that people from uh, the very beginning, and the very beginning of our species, goes back uh, perhaps uh, two hundred thousand years. Uh, they have they lived in um, in small groups and they showed a close attachment to their kin and to those who shared culture with them and uh, people and, and, and this this is uh, you know this, this is often referred to as tribalism and the tribalism has all, always been a very strong uh, a very strong uh, sentiment. People uh, show attachment to the close kin and to the culture, like because the because because they are the kin and because uh, because the, the um, because their existence dependent on the well-being of the of the group. So uh, these traits has become uh, in a way engraved in our evolutionary. Uh, um, a heritage which we carry throughout history. Obviously, it has gone through many, uh, many uh, transformation and changes. People no longer live in uh, tribes in most of the world, but uh, but uh, larger communities have uh, have uh, developed. Uh, peoples and, and nations and uh, state emerge. States emerge. Uh, a few millennia ago but still the the trade that we saw with, that we that we show our preference towards our clothes those who regard who whom we regard rightly or not as our as our kin and those who share the same culture with us uh, is still with us
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well I mean nobody questions the notion that you are predisposed to uh let's say like your children or maybe your siblings, although people hate their siblings sometimes (laughs) than (laughs) other people, everybody except this. And there's good um, and there's a good evolutionary logic behind this. You mentioned in the book kin selection, that is the notion that uh, by helping somebody with a lot of your genes, you're actually helping yourself. Um, It's not really altruistic. I think that the, that the challenge becomes to see how that notion that is kin selection um, preference for people with a lot of your genes is transferred to preference for people with fewer of your genes. Because another thing you point out in the book is, is that, um, well, let, let me see, how do I put this? Uh, a French person is more likely to share genes with another French person than they are with, say, a Chinese person.
1: On average.
0: Yes, on average.
1: Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah, on average. That's
0: right. Yeah, that's right. So but that that challenge getting over that leap, I mean, one. I guess what I'm saying is one can see how the mechanism is, in a certain sense, hijacked. Because humans are very good at noticing similarities and differences among themselves, for example, in facial features. That's right. We're extraordinarily good at it. Um, And, you know, many species can't even uh, uh, recognize their own kin. So we are definitely wired to do this um, and give them a certain amount of preferential treatment. And again, another thing you point out in the book is that this is the way we lived for basically all of our existence before the state appeared. Ninety-nine
1: percent of our existence. Yeah, that's,
0: that's exactly right. So um, let's call this group the, the tribe, and obviously there's a certain amount of altruism within it. That is, people will sacrifice their own interests for the interests of these other people. But when does the nation appear, or the ethnos, or ethne, some people call it? Um,
1: well, I, I argue that nations appear as early as states, and the first states appeared 5,000 years ago. Uh, and 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 the the nation came uh, close on the heels of the first states. Uh, we have uh, we have several kinds of states: city states and, and empires, which are which city states empires are, are multi-ethnic. But but in, in in between them, we have the so-called territorial state, and all. And, and and what I am suggesting is that these territorial states were actually national states, and the first. National state was the first large state, uh, ancient Egypt. And we have many other examples uh, which are still with us ancient China, uh, Japan from the time of its uh, consolidation as a unified state about uh, 1500 years ago, and then many others.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you, you spend a lot of time in the book on definitional issues, which I suspect is. is- was probably not very pleasant for you <laughs> <Correct>. <laughs> because the the the, uh, the terminology itself is sort of messy so what what in your conception is a a, a, a nation a nation
1: is uh, I, I, uh, I check here uh, the um, the uh, a definition by uh, one of the modernists I, I usually uh, the the idea that the, the nation is a rough congruence between a people and a state if you have a particular people with a, with a certain culture with a certain culture and a uh, uh, cultural uh, traits and uh, it, it's more or less congruent with a state and I'm suggesting that this congruence is, is not accidental because it's that much easier to uh, to create a state within a space um, inhabited by uh, by, this, by a single ethnos because of the sense of uh, homogeneity and then solidarity. So if we have this uh, rough congruence between, between the state and the people or an ethnos, this, this would be a national state and a nation. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. So uh, these things, these nations appear with states. That's roughly 5,000 years ago. I guess my question would be this as a historian. How do we know in terms of positive evidence that people, that is both common people, conceived of themselves to be members of something like a nation, and how do we know that the people that ruled them also conceived of themselves as rulers of a a national entity?
1: That's a very good question. and and, There is obviously a a big problem involved, and that is that most of the population could not... uh, could not read and write, they were illiterate, and so the, the, we have no record of what, uh, what they thought and uh, what they believed that that was, uh, say, 90-95% uh, of the population in most historical societies. So, uh, but, but, and, and this is what the modernists, um, based on this, the modernists uh, uh, claim that they uh, did not actually have this uh, wider sense of belonging to, uh, uh, to a broader nation or a people. But, but we have the actual behavior during uh, during crisis and and, and people would uh, would, uh, would um, habitually during crisis say during uh, during foreign invasion would rise to defend the, the, the nation the the, the state their country their culture and uh, we see this throughout history and I think that would be the best evidence of, of what they felt and and the authorities which, uh, which usually disenfranchised the, the masses would, in time of national crisis, would would call upon the the people to uh, to rise in arms to come to the uh, uh, to to fight the foreign invader and so forth. So, so they too had a good reason to
0: believe that such uh, such an appeal would have uh, would would uh, would be successful. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean the for I think our audience the the obvious example the great uh, font of. Evidence for this among the masses of people that listen to this is, in fact, the Hebrew Bible, which Quite is right. which is full of that sort of stuff. Quite right. Yeah. But the, but the
1: Hebrew Bible has has long been regarded, even by by modernists, the, the Hebrews themselves has long been regarded as an exception. Uh, 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 they were regarded as uh, as unified by the by, by the particular by, by the special. Uh, religion by by the practice of uh, torah reading which which uh, which meant that the literacy was uh, was uh, more widespread among them and so forth mm-hmm. uh, but, but but the same was true with other with other peoples and with other nations throughout history they always rose against the foreign invader at the, and the and the authorities could always count on the people to be loyal to the state in such a
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, know that in the Russian case, which is the one that I've studied most deeply, very on, very early on in what we think of as Russian history, really Rus history, uh, we do see, in fact, this uh, immediately. Um, you know, the Mongols come, and nobody doubts who they are, uh, and that they're different, and that the people of the Russian lands should fight them. Uh, exactly. And the people of the Russian lands were um, Orthodox Christians that spoke some dialect of Russian. Um, this was, yeah, this was this was sort of. This is evident in, uh, in pretty much all of all of the texts. Although it is the case that it becomes stronger and weaker. Interestingly, in the Russian case, it becomes weaker for a moment. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it, my own empirical investigations would suggest that that's true. I mean, and there are other things as well. Uh, I think you talked. Yeah, yeah.
1: Bloody foreigners were always bloody foreigners. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that was very a very
0: strong sense throughout history. Yeah, well, it's, a, it's a commonly said that Americans never know they're Americans until they go overseas. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you, you need you need to have contact with the
1: foreigners to, to see that, that, that you know that, that, that you are different, that you are uh, your own identity. That's uh-huh. also a common a common uh, trait of of national communities.
0: Uh-huh. How does religion work into this? I mean, in the Hebrew case, that one's that one's quite clear. Uh, can you give some other examples of the ways in
1: which? Well, yeah, uh, uh, people modernists, especially Anderson and others, have have uh, uh, suggested that uh, that the identity of people was mostly religion rather than national. That they were belonged to a Christian community or to uh, or to a Muslim community rather than, rather than. The, the 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 nation being their primary identity, but this was uh, this this was not the case. I mean, before universal religions, uh, most most religions were actually national. I mean, they uh, and, and and people and and, and the um, the, and, and the and the religious identity itself was part of the of the national identity, even. Even when um, even when universal uh, universal uh, religions uh, arose, like with uh, Christianity and so forth, even then there were always national churches of the universal uh, uh, faith, and and the, the national churches were uh, were always uh, patriotic. They always um, upheld the uh, the national cause, and even even in those cases where the country was uh, overtaken by by foreign invaders, the the church was. Uh, quite often the repository of the national feeling.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the case of Christianity is a terrific one uh, for the points you're trying to make, because I was raised a Lutheran, for example, and uh, so uh, Lutheranism is at its origins a, a national splinter group <laughs> from Christianity, and I know that it's even been assimilated here in the United States, so that the kind of Lutheranism that that we practice here in the, in the middle part of the United States is very different than the kind of Lutheranism, which is practiced in Germany, let's say. Um, So this, this tendency for uh, different ethnic groups to assimilate um, religions to their own national, I guess um, habits is a very strong one. I was talking to a woman the other day who studied, she actually studied a Jewish activist, female Jewish activist in the United States. And she mentioned to me that if you want to study reform Judaism, you go to Cincinnati, Ohio, <laughs> that's a, that's where, that's like where um, the kind of this American brand of Jude, this reformed Judaism is like Cincinnati, Ohio. There's no more American place than Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, so, yeah, this, this assimilating tendency is very strong. And early on, in, as you point out in the book, I mean, uh, Christianity is a universal religion. It's supposed to be, you know, this is the ideal. It has not worked out very well. <laughs> go, sorry. sorry, but it really has not worked out very well. Because these churches it, have all been nationalized, right? It,
1: it, it worked quite well, but not as perfectly as people imagine.
0: No, always
1: no. Anderson imagined.
0: Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's yeah. that's exactly right. So, if we go ahead and we agree with you that uh, nations, these national national groups existed, uh, that they were political groups and sometimes religious groups, uh, that in times of crisis they always rallied around this sort of central notion of common identity. Um, what is different then about the modern nationalism? Did did the modernists have do they have anything to offer us about what what happened in the eighteenth, nineteenth, and twentieth century with nationalism?
1: Sure, there has been an erosion of local identities because uh, before before modernity, ninety five or ninety percent of the population lived in a scattered rural community. Now they were all thrown together in, in cities and were, as I said, subject to to universal education and to military conscription and so forth. So, so there was a, a stronger sense of unity. There were there are, improved communication, uh, better education, uh, and, and, and and so forth. And uh, the, in in addition, there was uh, there's been this notion of, of popular sovereignty, which also uh, made what the what the what the people wanted the the cornerstone of, of legitimacy and also of, of political authority in uh, in, uh, in in many countries. Um, so for modernists, this was actually the, the, the beginning of the nation. As I see, it was more of 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 the deliberation the of the nation. I mean, the people had, had always been uh, patriotic. Now they also hold the shops politically, and then they express their preferences very clearly, and their preferences were clearly nationalistic.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. One of the things that is commonly said about modern history is we move away from multinational empires and to uh, nation states and the idea of sure. popular sovereignty is definitely involved in that and one of the things that people will also say is that these multinational states uh didn't really pay a lot of attention to that they were not national states that they they were explicitly sort of tried to poo-poo the notion of of nation is that true well it's
1: it, it's only partly true i mean they were all obviously uh multi-ethnic but but uh Nearly all, if not all, uh, empires in history were, were, were uh, built around uh, an, an imperial people. There was an imperial people in the middle of uh, each empire. I mean, it was the Russian people in the Russian Empire, it was, uh, it, it was, the, it was the Turks in the Ottoman Empire and so forth throughout, the, throughout history. I mean, there was an imperial people here. Obviously, the empire was—it uh, was in the interest of the empire to to present itself as uh, as universal and, and to uh, make all its um, all its uh, subjects um, equal subject of the empire. I mean, they were all equally um, equally under the heel of the empire, but were were, they re- were regarded as uh, as uh, as uh, equal, and and they were the empire encouraged them. Especially the elites of the various ethnic communities within the empire to participate to, to serve the empire and to to rise in its uh, in its service, but still there was the reality of of the of the imperial people at the center of the empire in which in which uh, the uh, the uh, power of the empire rested mm-hmm. on which it could count as its its main. I mean,
0: yeah, I mean, and I think another thing that is interesting is that if you believe what the modernists say about empires, it's difficult to explain why there are, I don't know if constant is the right word, but there are periodic ethnic uprisings. Um, I mean, the, the, the case again, the case of the Jews is a particularly interesting one in the Roman Empire, but also the Gauls, also the Britons, um, they, they just wouldn't settle down.
1: Of course. Over time, as in the Roman Empire, there could be a, a process of assimilation. I mean, ethnic and national identities are not constant. They uh, may change over time, and people may uh, change identity and adopt another one. And in in, in a long uh, in enduring empires, it could be the case that uh, many of the peoples over the century would assimilate into the uh, into the main ethnicity of the empire. It, it happened in large parts of the Roman Empire, where the say the population of Gaul and, and Spain adopted Latin and uh, and began to see themselves as Romans, and then the same obviously happened in China, and then in, in, in most, in many other um, empires. But still, there was again, even here, there was a, a close connection between ethnic identity, whatever it may be, and and uh, loyalty, loyalty, and, and uh, to the state.
0: Yeah, the Byzantines thought of themselves as Romans, but they weren't. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> the, uh, the Romanians speak of. You know, they speak a Romance language, but they're yes. not exactly French. Um, so, yes. and I know that it's the case that, uh, at least in my own studies of the Russian elite in the early modern period, is that uh, you know they did make some attempt to assimilate uh, foreign princes, especially Muslim princes, but they never made it to the top. Yes. I know this for a fact. This is one of my very few findings in all of my scholarly studies. Is yes. that if you're a Muslim, yes. you really couldn't go that far. Well, you had to convert first of all. You absolutely sure. had to convert there's no way you could uh, get into the Russian court without converting um but once you converted then you you know you' there was a kind of a glass ceiling because it was a it was a Russian empire
1: that, that's that's exactly so. so 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 there was always ambivalence in the attitude of the imperial uh, authorities on the one hand they would uh love to see the uh, the other ethnicities in the within the empire uh, you know converting into their own uh assimilating into the coalition, people or nation of the of the empire and, and whenever this was possible they would uh, pursue this uh, path but but uh, when they sensed that this would uh, be impossible and only inside resistance so they would uh, opt for for an inclusive and, and non assimilating uh, policy and both both policy were there, were the
0: Yeah, one of the things I found fascinating in the book is um, there's some passages in there you quote about the Yanomamo. I think many people probably know who the Yanomamo are. Uh, They're a tribal group. uh, It's in South America, isn't it? I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, And and they say that they are the first people and that they are the best people and that everyone else is more or less, mm, I don't know how to put it, uh, just not up to snuff. Uh, Now, it's funny because in my own research with the Russians, the Russians said, the early Russians, that is before they sort of met the Europeans, said exactly the same things about themselves. Exactly. It's true of every people. That's why I think so, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> so this notion that somehow uh, ethnic prejudice, or I guess what we'd call it pridefulness, and also xenophobia, these are not unusual things at all. Sure. Yeah. That's true of
1: every Yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: that yeah I just, it's a, it was striking to, to read these passages and, and think, you know, I just read the Russians would say the same thing. Europeans would come to Russia, and they would come to the Russian court, and the Russians would be very disdainful of them. Even though the Europeans were much more advanced in many ways, sure. the Russians were still totally disdainful of them. But you know, They just sure. weren't, yeah. So, yeah, these things uh, lie obviously very deep in the human breast, I think. So um, one of the things I, I think would be interesting to talk about is the way in which nationalism is playing out today. Um, I talked to Francis Fukuyama, I guess it was a year ago, about a, a book that he wrote about political evolution. And one of the things he said was that areas of the world which are still tribal I mean, they, they may have a common ethnicity among the tribes, but these, these are particularly uh, – they're having a, t- a difficult uh, sort of transition to modernity. Can you talk a little bit about that? They really haven't quite formed nations yet. I'm thinking mainly about areas in Africa. Sure. I mean, I mean
1: first of all, there are many, uh, many uh, stretches of, of the world where, where tribalism is still very strong, so uh, a, a wider um, – National identity has not been formed, but but in the case of Africa and and, and parts of Asia as well, the one of the problem was that, uh, you, that the that the boundaries between states in say in Africa is uh, were 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 drawn by the European powers during the nineteenth century with total disregard to ethnic uh, realities. So what you have is uh, different ethnicities uh, thrown together in the same states, and and some of them. Uh, Finding themselves in different states, different neighboring states. So when when the African uh, states um, gained their independence in the nineteen sixty, it was clear that you know redrawing the map would would cause uh, total mayhem because of all the uh, all the, uh, the usual stuff with that happens when when you try to adjust. Um, ethnic boundaries and political boundaries and and so they uh, vowed to leave everything as it is but uh, this has uh, worked only partly successfully as we see in uh, many African countries and uh, which uh, we have two cases of uh, splits in uh, existing states the last being the the split between uh, South Sudan and and Sudan itself on on ethnic uh, grounds and we have uh, ethnic troubles And, and above tribes, where ethnic uh, find themselves in um, in uh, disharmony, and uh, sometimes this uh, may gen- degenerate into civil war. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things that, that occurs to me is is that we, in the last two or three hundred years, we have embarked on a great process of sorting people. Uh, there are countervailing t- trends as well. I mean, there are some people that um, you know, i think thinking like Armenians are a good example. They're everywhere, uh, but generally speaking, these ethnic groups have consolidated, particularly after World War II. I mean, you think about the Germans; they were all sort of shoved back into Germany. Yeah. Um, and and I mean, do you see this process continuing?
1: We, we we have to remember that the process in Eastern Europe, and as you mentioned, the Germans was a was a very violent process. Yeah. I mean, the, the Germans was simply Driven out from where they lived in uh, throughout Eastern Europe and in Eastern Europe in, in, in general, I mean, we had the example of, of uh, the disintegration of Yugoslavia. I mean, when, when ethnic communities are mixed together, it's very difficult to uh, to align political uh, to, uh, political and ethnic borders. Uh, so the process itself is is uh, maybe maybe you know maybe hell, uh, but. So, so whenever ethnic community can um, get along uh, with each other, it may be very good for them to, to stay together. But uh, sometimes they simply do not wish to. I, I, I don't pretend that I have uh, the answers for such cases. I'm just, just trying to give an accurate uh, description of, of what the actual uh, uh, state of affairs is
0: yeah no i mean I quite agree with you, and I think that and i i 'll say this if if you won 't that the notion that somehow nations are invented or have some sort of slight hold on our consciousness is dangerous when we 're making policy about these places because i I think that um, taking that notion too lightly is is has been proven to be a mistake um, particularly let's, in the central european case
1: let 's take iraq which which has been in the yeah. headlines i mean um, the uh, U.S. presidents used to talk uh, and, and still talk about about the the people of Iraq, but, but there is really no people of Iraq. I mean, they are the Iraqi people. There are people in Iraq <laughs> which which do not be, see themselves as as one people, or at least some of them do not see themselves as belonging to the same people. Certainly not to the same nation. This is particularly true with respect to the Kurds in the in the north, which which once uh, the tyranny of uh, Saddam Hussein and the, has, and his predecessors has, uh, broke down. Uh, has actually gained uh, de facto independence, even mm-hmm. even even if uh, the Jewry, they are still part of the Iraqi state. So, and and even the, the Shia and the Sunni do not uh, see themselves as as belonging uh, to the same collective. And, and we see the same process in, in Syria I mean there is a, a people in uh, there, are pe- there are people in Syria but uh, there is hardly a, a Syrian people or, or a Syrian nation and once once the tyranny of uh, breaks down you see the various uh, communities of uh, of Syria at each
0: other's throat mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well I want to ask you about a, a more I, I don't know if it's more important. Probably in your uh, area of the world, it's not more important. But Americans think a lot about China these days. And uh, China is an empire. There are large, large ethnic groups in it. Um, sure. that are not um, they, they do not have any sort of national representation. Do you have any opinion on what's going to happen there?
1: Well, uh, if we, should, we must uh, begin by saying that 90% of, of the Chinese are Han Chinese. So, yeah. so they are the, the majority people, the, the majority nation is overwhelming, but there are about 50, 50 something uh, so-called ethnic uh, group or nationality, minority nationalities in China. The most, uh, the most problematic in this respect, in the, from the point of view of, of the rulers of Beijing, are uh, the. Tibetans mm-hmm. and the uh, Muslim the Uyghurs of in Xinjiang yeah. in the northwest, the and 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 so long as there is uh as there is uh, you know a Chinese uh, authoritarian or totalitarian system in place, uh, they are unlikely to be able to break uh, away from China. And if and when uh, the, uh, the 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 um, there is a regime change in China, which I'm I'm not sure is going to happen anytime soon. Uh, there might be there might be a renewed uh, appeals for uh, national independence on mm-hmm. on the part of both the Tibetan and Argos.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Yeah, um, and I also want to ask you about the United States. I, um, <laughs> you'll pardon me for saying that I'm a big believer in American exceptionalism. <laughs> <Me too>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think there's a, fr- a Polish friend of mine who lived in the United States, and he was about to go back to Poland. He said to me as his parting words, he said, "You know." Uh, the United States is not a country. It's an experiment. <laughs> and I think that's pretty Absolutely. much right. Uh, is there an American nation? I mean, is it, how, does, how does your theory, how does all this play out on American soil? Of course there is an American
1: nation. Americans feel that very uh, strongly. I mean, there is an American people. There is an American nation. Obviously, it's a nation and there are people of immigrants. And people are quite aware of the fact that they came from uh, from uh, different places, or that the ancestors they came from uh, different places, and then some of them still uh, have a warm uh, place in the heart for the old country. And uh, obviously, there are also religious uh, differences that still uh, play out in the in the uh, I mean among the various uh, populations. But the people also share in uh, in in a very strong. Uh, Sense not only of loyalty to the to the American uh, to, to, to the state and to the Constitution as as many people posit, but but to a common American culture. People speak English. They they uh, they uh, put uh, old languages behind them, and uh, from the second or third generation, people speak uh, English as the first or in most most cases as the only language. They partake of of an American of a distinctly. American culture, even though they may uh, retain symbols of the some sim- symbols of the old uh, of the old uh, ethnic uh, identity. So, above all, the culture is American. That that makes the, an American people and an American nation.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I quite agree with you. One of the things I tell my students when we talk about nationalism in Europe in the nineteenth century and people fleeing nationalism in the nations of Europe, is that uh, America solved the problem of nationality by reducing ethnicity to food. So you come to the <laughs> United States and you yeah. open a restaurant. <laughs> and then the next generation, your son or daughter is a doctor and it's Absolutely. over. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> ethnicity is for Sunday afternoon meals at uh, grandma's house. <laughs> in america in america yeah just well, in america
1: that in america is precisely that
0: yeah no and it's a it's a curious thing i mean and and one of the things that holds americans together is to, this notion that we are a, a nation of immigrants this is on everybody's lips sure nobody ever forgets this and nobody can ever forget it I mean, because sure. it's it's a kind of political sacred cow which is why we have such trouble with immigration reform and things like this we're always very ambivalent about it no matter how much it hurts us we just can't bring ourselves to do this because this sort of the, the the central point of our nation is that you come here, you get one generation, and then you're going to become like us. Sure, that's the basic deal. <laughs> it's a pretty good deal. A lot of people want to come you know, here. I, I, the fact is that people
1: uh, do want to come to America. Yeah, so it's a, it's a pretty a good
0: deal. Yeah, it's, a, it's a pretty it's a pretty good deal. Now, not to mention, you know, I mean, there are nations in the United States, of course. There are the, all the um, all the Native Americans and things like this, sure. and and there are large su- ethnic subcultures in the United States, but they are uh, explicitly sort of. Um, they are explicitly, uh, I guess placed under this larger American identity, which which is, I think, as you point out, very strong. It's, it's, sure. a, you know Americans go overseas and they immediately recognize that they're Americans. Sure.
1: People Just don't forget it because I mean the idea of, 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 of a nation of immigrants is very strong and the multiethnicity and all that. and all, all of these are obviously true to a certain extent, but the overwhelming, overwhelming reality is that people from all over the world uh, come to America and become Americans, not only in terms of citizenship, but ultimately also in terms of culture, language, and all of the rest. For good
0: or ill. <laughs> <laughs> mostly for good. Yeah, mostly for good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for good or ill. But I mean, I think the same thing could probably be said of uh, of Canada. I think in Australia, similarly, I think it's a little bit like that in Australia. I don't know. I've not been to Australia.
1: Australia yes, New Zealand. In Canada, Canada is 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 uh, a, a good parallel because we see that we're well, there is a competing ethno-national identity, very much entrenched, as, as with the Quebecois. So there is a problem of how do we, of, of of maintaining the nation and the the uh, the, uh, the threat of secession or of splitting the nation along along ethno-national lines is there? Definitely-
0: mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I also think, yeah, yes, that's right. I also think that we should give uh, Israel some credit as well because a lot of uh, Jews go to Israel. I was going to say go back to Israel, but they've never been there. Um, and they become Israelis. I mean, I've Absolutely. had friends that have done it. I mean, they you know, they were as American as they could be, and their, their kids are Israelis. That's what they Absolutely. are. <laughs> They're Absolutely. Israelis. Um, so th- this does happen. I- I'm also interested to hear what you think about the European Union. Uh, the European Union is... Uh, a union
1: of nation states, uh, and the, you can see this very clearly uh, during the uh, during the current crisis, where, where national identities uh, again become uh, very, very much strong. If it, uh, I mean, I,
0: I mean, it's uh, the uh, idea of bailing out other other
1: members of the. Uh, of the European Union by investing your own money is is uh, is, uh, is very problematic in the eyes of the very of the richer peoples of, of Europe so it's it's a nation it's a union of national states and what is more we have more and more of them because of the European nation because the smaller nations of Europe now find that they have that they have the uh, the uh, European umbrella uh, as a convenient, uh, broader framework and they, they no longer need to belong to, na- to the historical nation to which they belong and we see this in, uh, say, in Scotland and then in Catalonia and uh, then in other places. Uh, so, it, on the one hand, it's obviously uh, a, a broader uh, framework than the national uh, framework and over time, who knows, I'm, I'm a little skeptical about that. as if if. They develop uh, uh, a stronger sense of Europe as a culture, as a a common cultural identity and so forth. They become more like a nation. But at the moment, and in my view, for the foreseeable uh, future, it's going to remain a union of nations.
0: Yeah, there's no, I mean, that's an interesting thing. Unlike the United States, there's no common culture. To. Exactly, not no common language. No, right? there's, no, there's no sort of center there. I mean, the, the I guess the most influential group in the European Union is Germany, but people are clearly not going to become Germans. And it's not even yeah. clear the Germans want them to become Germans. Um So I guess I would be interested to see, having spent some time among uh, immigrant groups in the European Union, you know, Spaniards, for example, are all over the place in the U.K. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see whether they raise their children as, uh I don't know, English or or Irish or whatever they happen to be. Most,
1: most, most of them are going to assimilate as, as with immigrants uh, anywhere, but, but, but most of the, Span- the majority of the Spaniards still live in Spain, or still, yeah, yeah. uh, more, more technically. <laughs> so, and, and they are going to remain uh, Spanish or Spaniard.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So let me ask,
0: it, yeah, I was going to say, let me, let me ask you a kind of controversial question, and I don't want to put you on the spot, um, but it is interesting <laughs> to me. As a matter of public or national policy, um, let's take the Germans, for example. I don't know if they have these rules anymore or not. But they did at one time have rules that said that um, you could come and – actually, I know I have a friend that, that did this. Uh, he – his parents had <laughs> – he was Jewish and his parents were kicked out of Germany in the 30s. And he uh, – because he was of German, quote-unquote, German descent, he was able to get German citizenship just like that. Sure, right. Sure. Uh, so there are these laws that treat the descendants of people – and these exist in Israel as well uh, – yes. Preferentially, um, I think most people, most liberal people, don't like this at all. Is there? But but again, thinking about your argument, it seems like some accommodation should be made for these natural feelings of, I guess, ethnic solidarity. What, what's your feeling about that?
1: Well, my, my book is not a normative book, and yeah, no, I understand. It, yeah, 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 yeah. And so, uh, and uh, my own belief is that norms are, are and, and values are mostly subjective things, and and obviously different there are different, uh, there are different um, norms here uh, among states and uh, each reflects a uh, different uh, attitude by the by the country in question i, I see no problem with the idea of, of those who are regarded as yourkin uh, people that are somehow scattered uh, for, with the germans for example there were large uh, german minorities as we said throughout eastern europe and in russia and the, the idea that they are yeah, you're keen and that they are entitled to come back and rejoin the nation. I, I see no problem in.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a very realistic way to look at it. And I'm glad you point out the the sort of odd similarity, it's hard to say, but between the Germans and the Jews. They were both scattered after World War II. And uh, so for the Germans to say, people of German descent come home. Uh, that's not, I don't think that's an illegitimate thing. I personally am hoping that the British offer me citizenship because my <laughs> people came here 200 years ago, uh, I'm driven I'm out sure. of England. I'm sure they would. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> that would be very nice. Well, Azar, it's been really uh, terrific talking with you today about your book, Nations, the Long History and Deep Roots of Political Ethnicity and Nationalism. Uh, let me uh, ask our traditional final question, and that is, what are you working on now? What's your next project?
1: I'm working about uh, about a book provisionally entitled "The Causes of War and the Causes of Peace." Mm-hmm. And it's an uh, option from my uh, war on human civilization that uh, now concentrating more directly on that question. It's it's time we knew why people
0: fight. go. Yeah. yeah. No, I I would like to know that as well. I try to fight as little as I can. The older I get, the less I want to fight. I just don't have Good. time for it. <laughs> when I was younger, I loved it, but now I just don't have time for it. So anyway, I want to thank everybody for listening to the New Books Network today. We've been talking with Azar Gat about his book again: Nations, the long history and deep roots of political ethnicity and nationalism as thanks so much for being on the show
1: thank you for
0: hosting me